It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. And welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. I'd like to welcome my uh, first guest to the show, uh, Jennifer Cook, and she is an associate professor at York University, my old school. It's so great to have yet someone else here from York University. Uh, and she is with the School of Kinesiology uh, and Health Science. And we are here to talk about something that I think most people uh, think about or have had to deal with or certainly have uh, perhaps uh, someone in their family or someone that they know has had to deal with this. And uh, maybe in the future, you will have to deal with this. So that is with weight loss, the battle of dealing with weight loss. So uh, Jennifer, first of all, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Now, I want to start off by uh, asking you this, and, and it relates to something I was doing. I, every day, I walk to work. I walk about 15 minutes each direction, and I power walk usually. I'm, I'm, I like to walk. And I do that because... Uh, when I started the job here at the station, I thought, this is going to be great. I can get off the station, I get off the train, walk to work briskly, and I'm going to be working like about a, you know, walking half an hour a day. I, I, I think I'm going to see some results. You know, I'm going to lose some weight. And after a year of that, I went to my doctor and I said, what's going on? I've been doing this over a year. I haven't lost an ounce. And he said, how long are you walking? And I said, 15 minutes roughly, you know, and he said, yeah, you're, you're not going to lose any weight. And <laughs> what? <laughs> he said, it's good, great for your cardiovascular system, but you have, to, you have to walk longer than that in order to kick in the fat-burning side of things. And I went, wow. I said, okay, so now what do I have to do? I, I really want to start looking at my own weight a little bit more, take control of that. Uh, you know, I've been slowly putting on weight, as a lot of people do, as, as they age and things. And I thought, well, what do I do? So that's when I got, as, as, and I, we're going to hopefully talk about this a little bit. I thought, so how do I look at this thing? What else can I do? Uh, I'm trying to, to you know, I, I like to jog, I like to work out, but that's not, hasn't been doing it either. Uh, so I got one of these apps that help you look at what you're consuming, which I really found very interesting because it pointed out, uh, helps you look at all the calories that you are intaking into your system and helps you look at what it is that you can uh, you can help to, it gives you a, a sort of a, a choice of, um, you know, here's what you're looking to do. Here's what the calorie rate it is that you want to, want to achieve in, on a daily basis. Um, so I did see some results from that happily, but I, and the reason I'm sharing this with you is, is because I think other people may have found this as well. And I've talked to other people. Uh, I, I lost about 10, 12 pounds, which was great. I was happy, but then I hit this roadblock you know, mm -hmm. and when I went back to my doctor again, he said, well, it's and spoke with other people. It was um, about this naturopath. It's, it's what your body is comfortable with as well. It's where your body wants to sit at a Absolutely. comfortable level. Uh, does this make sense to you what I'm sharing with you? Absolutely. So the importance of exercise for weight loss is vastly overstated. I'm, your doctor is a very good doctor that they even knew that mm. um, because most people do believe if they do half an hour a day, they should see the pounds melt off. But mm. that's just not a reality. Half an hour of brisk walking um, five days a week should result in less than a pound a month. Um, it, and that's if you don't reward yourself for being right. uh, physically active, right. which many people do. Um, part of uh, our physiology is that 
when you exercise more or uh, your body is going to try and maintain that stable state and so that either your appetite increases to match. And so most of us are very good at keeping our weight stable, if not just a little bit on the positive side, which mm. is why as we age, we, we gain weight. Um, the most effective, the best way to lose weight is to watch your calories. And so most of us don't know what we eat, especially if you eat out. Mm -hmm. um, and because the food that we eat out, we enjoy and it tastes good. Mm -hmm. We eat more of it. That's a, a natural. There's been studies to actually show that if you like the food, you you eat right. more. Give me more. Yeah, right. the larger the portion size, the more you'll eat. Yep. Um, and restaurant portion sizes have grown. Uh, the amount of uh, fat and sugar and salt has increased, which makes the food taste better. Uh, and there's variety in advertisements. All of these things make us hungrier mm -hmm. than we should if we were living in a, at a place where there was no advertisements in restaurants on every corner. Um, so watching and, and recording what you eat at least makes you think about your choices. Do I really need that second cookie, considering that each one of those cookies is 100 calories, mm -hmm. and you need to walk 15, yeah. 20 minutes to burn off that Right. One cookie. Right. Um, and so by putting that in perspective, it helps people manage their weight or at least make more informed choices. But right. that's not the whole battle. Yeah. Um, now, part of what you're looking at, though, which is interesting as well, is that is all obesity bad? There are people that are just naturally overweight but are perfectly healthy. Um, absolutely. Um, so most of us would look at an individual's weight and then make assumptions about what their health profile looks like. And what we see is that there, there are a significant number of people that have obesity, uh, but when you take a look at their blood pressure, their glucose, their cholesterol, they're perfectly fine. And so by asking them to lose weight, well, what benefit would they get? Mm. And in fact, they're probably going to be stressed about it because if anyone's ever tried to lose weight, it's a stressful experience. Um, and it costs money. Mm. So why are we putting those people through that? What benefit do they get? And does it actually impair their health? because many of these people get uh, desperate and try um, weight loss products and things that are actually bad for you and they damage your health. You know, uh, when you say that, I think of, of how our lifestyle, uh, the, everyone is busy, we're on the run, and when we're on the run, we get a, a hunger craving, I need something just to get me through. They reach for a bag of chips or a chocolate bar or something, and these are loaded with calories. I, I was, I mm -hmm. was so surprised. I mean, one of my longtime favorite uh, snacks is potato chips. Oh, mine too. <laughs> I love potato chips. But when I looked at the package and saw how many calories per serving, which is usually about 18 chips, mm -hmm. it's huge. Yes. Yes, it is. So eating a bag of chips is like a meal or more. Yeah. One recommendation is never eat out of the bag. Yeah. If you eat out of the bag, you will for sure consume way more calories than you intend. Um, so take the bag, put your handful in a bowl, mm. seal off the bag and hide it, mm -hmm. and then enjoy the, the smallest amount that you need to be happy. You know, when I, one of the things I start to do mentally for myself uh, when I put this, this challenge, uh, calorie counting in front of me was because, you know, I'd see people around uh, in the office, you know, they're bringing pizza in, you know, mm -hmm. people are enjoying lots of stuff. And what I started to do to myself was saying, I remember what pizza tastes like. I enjoyed it when I ate it. Mm -hmm. It's just time for me to start thinking differently and changing how I just going, yeah, I remember that. I don't have to have it. I'll just try and remember what it tastes like in my memory and go, yeah, I remember that. It was good at the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, 
the science is, is divided on this, um, it, whether or not you need to restrain yourself from mm-hmm. eating the, the foods that you, you like. And mm-hmm. uh, for some people, that is, is better. If you talk to an alcoholic, you can't just tell mm-hmm. them moderation. You mm-hmm. have to cut yourself sure. off entirely. Right. And then there's the other people that do understand about moderation. And so they can have it on a regular basis, but fewer slices. So instead of having three slices, they have one. Um, and they, instead of having it three times a week, you have it once every other week. And so that moderation is the approach that right. they need. And it really yep. depends on, on the person. And that's the other thing I found over time as well. After I was doing it, this sort of calorie counting thing for about three, four months and did a great job. I was very happy with myself. But I thought, yeah, I guess it won't hurt to have one piece of pizza now, mm-hmm. right? But I just, again, you can't fall back into your old habits. You have to be conscious of it. It's one of those things that in doing this... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that I've found, well, this is just the new reality for me, at least, yeah. if I intend to, because I don't, I, I can't, I don't have four hours a day to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't have the time to, to run and do those things that would really been, been for me that I like to do, but I just don't have that anymore. So, so how do we, how do I look at this differently? Um, uh, now, you know, when, when we talk about, about this and you talked about, uh, um, we talked about o- obesity or people that are healthy and you start to look at this and saying the stress that it might put someone under when they're healthy and they don't need to, it's just that that's their body type perhaps. Absolutely. Um, now, uh, when I was young, uh, I was a little on the chunky side. When I, when I got to be a teenager and older, I slimmed out uh, until you know a little bit later on, I started to put the weight back on. I'm curious about metabolism. Mm-hmm. You know, we hear about metabolism a lot. And... We hear about if you've got a, a fast metabolism or what is it, you burn these calories faster. But I think is, is, is the other thing I heard is as you age, your metabolism slows down. If our metabolism slows down, why is it that our, our desire to consume doesn't slow down with it? <laughs> uh, so as you age, your metabolism absolutely slows down. One of the big reasons is that you lose muscle mass as you, you, mm. you age. And so your muscles and your lean tissue are what really burn most of the calories when we're at rest. Mm. Um, the reason your appetite doesn't go down is because food inherently tastes good and mm. evolution is going to make it so that we don't starve to death. So it doesn't matter how old you are, you're going to desire food to make sure that you don't waste away. Uh, that's, that's just normal physiology. In terms of differences between people, there's huge differences. Uh, there was a study that overfed men by over a thousand calories a day. And some of those uh, men over eight weeks gained nothing despite not exercising more at all. And so it just shows that there are some freaks of nature that can just eat whatever they want and they will not gain fat. Um, The rest of us will have to watch what we eat and not overconsume by a thousand calories per day because you will store it as fat. Is there any, has there been some studies on that? Like like those people can eat anything and they just burn it off naturally? Do we know why? So part of it is just your resting metabolic rate. So they just... Uh, increase the number of calories their muscles just burn by doing nothing. So they just burn it off as heat. It's like a thermostat. Um, Others is that uh, studies have found that they naturally just fidget more. And Mm. so they'll just Mm. have um, non-purposeful energy uh, that they just burn off naturally. Um, And uh, some of us don't have that adaptation. So we just naturally won't move a little bit more or burn a little bit more. Mm. And uh, the same is uh, true for the reverse. When we try and lose weight, there's some of us that will just turn down the thermostat. And so we will burn less calories at rest, which means we won't lose as much weight as you would think, even though you've cut a substantial amount of calories. As you were talking there, this popped into my head. 
what's the connection between and who's in charge, the brain or the stomach? Um, so it's actually a, a lot of things. It, it could be your gut. Um, yeah. And so there's signals from the, the bacteria that live within our intestines mm. that send signals back to your brain that also regulate hunger and the way that uh, our metabolism works as well. Uh, your brain is a, a big regulator, obviously, of your appetite as well. But there's also sensors that were within your bones that detect how heavy you are. Mm. And that also feeds back to your brain to say, hey, mm. we've lost weight. We need to increase the appetite mm. and put the weight back on and maintain mm. whatever it is that your body believes that you should weigh. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And so we're learning more and more about the regulation of appetite and why it is that people don't lose weight. And if you do lose weight, why can't you maintain it for five years? Because 95% of those people will regain the weight. Yes. I was going to ask you about what that meant because in, in, mm-hmm. in some of the writings I see long term and I wasn't sure what that meant by long term. Yeah. And so what we see is that uh, there's actually changes in, in your brain that uh, happen in response to weight gain. And so as you grow from a child, you obviously don't want to go back to the weight as uh, you were for when you were an infant. And so this is a, a one direction type mm. of process mm. that basically sets your body weight higher and higher and higher. The time frame for this and how it exactly it happens is not clear. The researchers are trying to investigate that and perhaps one day we'll have a vaccination that will uh, be able to prevent uh, that permanent reset of your, your body weight at higher levels. Mm. Um, and and our brain, uh, how much uh, willpower? I guess is what we're talking about here when we when we think about this. And we are we are not exactly great uh, in terms of uh, having that willpower to stand up and 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 resist that hunger or that desire we have to. Oh, that chocolate looks really good. Yeah. Well, uh, appetite is one of our basic, basic needs. And so we're fighting against the the most ancient part of our Mm -hmm. brain, which is very, very difficult um, to to win uh, long term. You can do it for a little bit, but Mm -hmm. you won't be able to do it long term. And I'll I'll use an example of something just your handedness. If you're right handed and I told you from now on you have to be left handed, how long do you think you can maintain that for before you forget And it's the same thing with your appetite. You can withstand it for a little bit, but you will succumb to your appetite and you will eat. Mm. And if you wait until you're extremely hungry, your ability to make rational choice also goes out the window. Um, And and so long term, that's not a good strategy either. Right. Okay. Well, I just want to jump in and say that you're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Jennifer Cook, and she is an associate professor at York University the School of Kinesiology and Health Science, and we are here talking about the battle with weight loss, and uh, she's, uh, she's looking into specifically uh, about, uh, you know, uh, uh, o- obesity in terms of is it, al- is it always bad because there are some people that are perfectly healthy um, that uh, have no issues, uh, even though they may, uh, they may, have, uh, they may look over- overweight. Uh, it's their body type, but they're perfectly healthy, as you mentioned, their blood pressure and, and all these other things. Um, n- now, in reading some of the material, the fat fit fix uh, paradox, as it's called, mm-hmm. I think. That, that, uh, but the other thing I'm wondering about is there's two different kinds of fat, I notice. There's this visceral fat. Absolutely. Is, and, and then there's the fat that is around our, our gut and we can pinch it. Yes. 
Um, so the fat that's directly under your skin, your subcutaneous fat, that's the stuff that jiggles when you jump up and mm. down, uh, that is not very strongly linked with uh, health problems. In fact, many of it see a, uh, researchers see it as a beneficial fat depot because if it sucks up all those fat into your, your subcutaneous, then it's not circulating around your blood as triglycerides and creating clots and heart attacks and strokes. Uh, your visceral fat, on the other hand, is um, more metabolically active. And so it actually sends a lot of uh, triglycerides and inflammatory mar markers into your circulation, which is why having that big waistline has been more strongly linked with heart disease, diabetes, and, and uh, just cardiovascular disease in general. Um, so explain that to me, because I thought the belly fat was not an issue, but you're saying that the waistline is... The fat so that's between your organs, that's your visceral fat. Oh. That is a very different beast from the the fat that's underneath your skin, that's all over oh, your body. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, so it, And it accumulates around the, the organs in the stomach area, I guess. Yes? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, so okay. it's within your abdominal cavity. Yeah. And so it's thought that... Uh, when your subcutaneous gets full, yeah. then the, the fat that's left over goes into your visceral fat where it actually causes problems. So in some people, they're able to take that fat, store it in their subcutaneous stores, mm. and then it does no harm. Mm. And, um, and so what do we look for when we're trying to get a healthy uh, lifestyle that we're, we're um, obviously we don't want to store that kind of visceral fat then. We want, <laughs> want to eliminate that. What, is there a way of... of, of Focusing on that visceral fat. <laughs> How do we well, uh, fortunately, visceral fat is one of the first depots to get reduced when you're in negative energy balance. So if you start exercising, even before you see pounds melt off your scale, you might notice that your pants fit a little bit better. Right. And that's a good sign. Mm. And this is why exercise, even without weight loss, mm. has been shown to reduce your blood pressure, improve, improve your cholesterol, and, and your glucose levels. So when you think about you know being healthy... There's been an overemphasis, I think, in terms of your body weight. It's, it's really about your lifestyle and what you can sustain mm. given your personal circumstances. So getting off the bus a little bit earlier so you can have a little bit of a walk is manageable for most people. Mm -hmm. um, but going to the gym and paying for that gym membership may not be a reality for the vast majority of the, the population. And so you really have to think about how you can get these healthy lifestyles right. as part of your life without stressing you out. Now, there is, of course, uh, there's benefits to exercise other than losing weight. Absolutely. In fact, exercise is not very good for helping you lose weight. Mm. Yeah. And what are some of those benefits of, of muscle mass, I guess? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, stretching, of course. I've, I've always liked to stretch. Yeah. I think that's something, elasticity and keeping yourself able to mm -hmm. bend over and tie up your shoelaces. It's a good idea. Yeah. So uh, boosting energy levels, uh, your mental health. Uh, it's uh, obviously your blood pressure, your, your glucose, your cholesterol, your strength, your flexibility, uh, your body image, your uh, self-confidence. There's, there's many different avenues in which uh, exercise has been shown to help cancer risk as well. Right. So if people are, are, are um, misunderstanding uh, the difference between what, when they go for a workout or exercise and the calories they're burning... And then go and reward themselves afterwards by, you know, getting that uh, that that protein smoothie that's loaded with uh, some calories as well. Um, there's some benefit, but but we have to keep an eye on those on that calorie count, do we not? Oh, absolutely. Uh, knowing what you eat is is very important if you're struggling with your weight. Um, it's just the currency of of weight loss. So if you don't know what's going into your body and how much it, you, you're not going to do well. 
and we're we're better at uh, at, at consuming more than we're we're actually burning on yeah, a absolutely. daily basis. Yeah. So we always tend to we're our, our bodies tends to always uh, put us on the net gain, mm. and over time it leads to weight gain. What would you advise for people that are looking at trying to get more control of that in their life? Well, I think it really depends on the structure of your life. Uh, so some people find that eating in moderation uh, five days, five times a day is the best approach for them because they tend to be grazers. Um, other people tend to want to do the intermittent fasting. So they don't do uh, breakfast and then they eat lunch and dinner or just dinner. Um, it really depends on that the, the person, the way that you're hungry. Um, I'm the type of person that I get very hangry. If, if I don't eat my breakfast, mm. you don't want to be around me at lunchtime because <laughs> okay. I will bite your head off. And so telling me that I should do intermittent fasting right. will not work. Right. Um, other people are just not hungry in, in mm. the morning. Mm. Um, and so there's no point in forcing yourself to eat that right. breakfast. It's, it's not going to help. Uh, with with your weight management. So that intermittent fasting uh, that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. yeah, I've heard about this. Where you, I think it's like you eat eat eight hours and then fast for sixteen. Kind of on it. Is that the way it works? Something like that. It it depends on how severe you want to do the intermittent okay. fasting. Yeah. Um, there's many different patterns out there. As essentially, it's you eat less meals and you have larger gaps between those meals. And that's so that your body turns to itself to start using some of the fat buildup that you have. Well, it's just a way to cut the calories so you okay. don't consume as much in each 24-hour period. Right. Um, so however you accomplish that mm. is is wonderful. Some people just cut out sugar beverages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, helps. And All that stuff helps. Yeah. Others just uh, stop snacking. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Cut out your midnight snack. Yep. That's a big one. Mm. You do not want to eat before you sleep because yeah. that's the best way to store fat. Oh. Yeah. That's how sumo wrestlers do it, actually. Really? Yeah. Eat wow. and then sleep. Um, so what are, what are some, uh, some cautions then you just mentioned one, don't, don't snack before going to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other uh, things that people need to be aware of if they're thinking of, of doing something like an intermittent fast that they should be aware of that, that wouldn't be productive in that, in, in doing something like that? Well, it's, a, it's about the severity of, of your weight loss and, and your weight loss goals. Um, I think that many people have unrealistic goals in terms of what they should expect for weight loss. Uh, in terms of health benefits, we're only looking for 5 to 10% of your body weight, and that's the goal for from a, a doctor's perspective. And that's 1 to 2 pounds per week. Anything more than that, it could yeah. potentially have health consequences. Um, and so the other thing is that you have to realize that after 5 to 10% weight loss, most people with obesity are still going to have obesity. Mm. Even bariatric surgery, most people after bariatric surgery, which is the best weight loss tool that we have right now, still have obesity. You would look at them and say, hmm, maybe you would benefit from weight loss surgery mm. or mm. eating less or exercising more. And so you have to remember that the, the programs and tools that we have currently don't bring you down to a lean body weight. That's just not going to be the reality for the vast majority of the population. And so as a society, we need to stop looking at people with uh, obesity or higher body weight and saying and judging them based on that and, and saying that they're not healthy, they're not trying, and they have low willpower because that's not the case. Okay. Um, what other things that we haven't talked about that you've been looking at with your, with your, uh, uh, your focus and research uh, that you feel is important to mention? Well, I, I think that um, 
first we need to have acceptance about the limits of of our our body weight mm. Men, much of that is dictated by your genetics and so there's really nothing that you can do about that um, they've done studies with uh, twins uh, mm. back in the 70s they wanted to do a study with where one twin ha- was lean and one had obesity and they mm. couldn't find any mm. um, because mm. twins even if they're growing up in very different environments tend to eat the same have the same physical activity patterns and they wow. look the same wow. and that just really shows the strength of your your mm-hmm. genetics um, and then that always brings up the question well why are people struggling with their body weight now yeah. and it's because there's fewer people starving now you know, uh, back in the, the 50s you might be prone to obesity but you didn't have enough food to eat and so it was never an issue you never developed the full potential of your body weight because of the environment that we live in now that we have food we can and plenty of it and plenty of it and so it isn't really an issue of um, your, your, your body weight in our environment. Uh, if you want to be lean, then you have to go back to a starving country. Mm-hmm. And is that really healthier? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so I think that we need to keep that in the back of our minds when we judge people and when we judge ourselves. I guess it's also uh, worth worth mentioning, and, and we've been talking about this to some degree. That willpower—it's not—it's not easy. It, it's not easy, and you only have a finite amount. Mm. And so, I think that you need to focus on the things that you can control. So, what do you eat within the limits of your finances and your social situation? Um, eat the best that you can, and in terms of physical activity, get as much physical activity as you can. But find something that you enjoy. If you hate it, you're not going to maintain it. It's the same thing with food. You need to enjoy your food. Um, and the healthiest food that you, you can uh, mm-hmm. is, is the best approach. Uh, uh, now, along with what you just said there, it triggered uh, something else I read uh, in what you were saying with this. Then that is that uh, we were saying that it's, it's difficult, it's hard to do. And, and, and I, I think I saw something about willpower, and you were saying don't, don't use all that willpower up on something that you don't want to do because you won't, you'll, you'll eventually cave in somewhere down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. So um, the psychologists, uh, they call it uh, executive function. So you, there's only so much that you can control your actions before mm. um, you burn out, essentially. It's like a mm. bank account. Mm. And so where are you going to devote your, your resources? Is it to, to your work? Uh, controlling your diet, controlling your physical activity. There's only so many aspects of your life that you can actually control. And, and so you need to think about your priorities in life. Mm. Um, and body weight is one of those things that might not even be within your control. So uh, it's better spent on uh, managing your stress, managing your sleep, and the lifestyle factors that will make you healthy that are within your control. Uh, or more within your control. Right. So looking forward, uh, just we're finishing up here, uh, uh, wh- what would you like to see done with your with the research that you found in, in regard to this and, and going forward, what would you like to see done with it? Well, in short, I think that as a society, we need to change. Obesity prejudice is the only prejudice that's, that's allowed and it's mm. still flaunted. And, mm. and uh, I think that's an issue because if it is genetic, then it, uh, in large part genetic, then there's... It, it's the same thing as uh, making fun of someone's skin color or their disability. And, and as a society, we, we do not accept that. We do, don't tolerate it. Mm. But for obesity bias and prejudice, we allow it. And it's commonplace. And mm. we actually have legislation that's being promoted to um, make it so that people with obesity don't qualify for certain surgeries or they need to pay for things out of pocket because really it's all right. their fault. Right. Yeah. Nicely said. Thank you. Uh, you've been listening to Moment of Truth. Uh, this is uh, the voice of Jennifer uh, Cook that you've been listening to. She's an associate professor at York University 
uh, in the School of Kinesiology and Health Science. And uh, we've been here talking about uh, the issue of the battle with, with weight loss. And uh, she has done some uh, fascinating research on, on uh, are, is obesity all uh, that people are healthy and still obese? Is it an issue for them? And uh, some great points about, about that. And you can uh, look her up online and find out more about that. It's been a pleasure having you here in the show. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Don't go away. We're going to be right back on Moment of Truth with more. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. And you could also listen on the Radio Player Canada app. That might come in handy for our next guest. He is on the line from Winnipeg. And it is a pleasure to have uh, Rob Riel. He's the Director of Indigenous Education now, Rob, is that with the uh, with University of Winnipeg, or is it with the the education department? Uh, this is with uh, the Winnipeg School Division. Thank you. The reason why I wasn't sure there is because th- this uh, what we're talking about, build from within, is actually a really unique idea that is uh, has come out of Winnipeg, unique to the area, but also I think uh, it looks like something that could spark some interest across across the country as a way to approach trying to uh, entice more Indigenous students to look at becoming uh, teachers, professors, and 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 other things in the uh, in the education uh, area uh, because they are much needed. And um, it's a pleasure to have you here to discuss this. Thank you, David. So why don't we start with, uh, with the first thing that comes to mind. So, so you've got the University of Winnipeg involved. You've got uh, uh, the faculty, as I said, of education. You've got Winnipeg School Division um, and Indig- Indigenous high school uh, teachers, uh, students involved. And, of course, teachers are involved as well. Um, but uh, I'd like to know, how, how did this idea come forward? Who, how did this, yeah, how did this develop? Well, uh I, uh, about six years ago, started in this position, and myself and a colleague were at a conference, and uh, we weren't in the same uh, room at the time, but the uh, the theme was, was, of course, on Indigenous education, and we came out at lunchtime thinking about uh, how do we get more Indigenous uh, teachers in the classrooms. We want to have uh, the front of the class mirror what's sitting in the desk. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, a big concern for us. The challenge was is that uh, 58% of our families within our school division itself, in the Winnipeg School Division, we have the uh, 33,000 students, uh, 5,500 staff, 78 schools, so it's, it's uh, the largest school division uh, in, in Manitoba. Uh, but our population, our uh, self-declared Indigenous staff for teaching is about 12%. Mm. So uh, like every other school division in Manitoba, uh, everyone is looking to pre-hire, hire Indigenous teachers coming out of the universities, uh, but the numbers just aren't uh, there to support the amount that each of the school divisions want, never mind just ours. So uh, myself and a colleague were sitting eating lunch saying, what are we going to do? Like, how do we find teachers? They're just, you know, uh, there's only 10% of the graduating classes out of University of Winnipeg, Manitoba, and Brandon. Uh, which equals maybe 40 Indigenous staff a year are coming out, becoming teachers, uh, which just isn't enough. And it's not fulfilling the need that we needed for for our school division. So uh, we sat down talking. We figured out, you know, we're just going to have to do it ourselves, in a sense, in partnership with the University of Winnipeg to bring more Indigenous students. I call them kids. 
uh, they're still young. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, so we're looking, you know, starting around grade 9, grade 10, having those conversations. If you want to be a teacher, I reflect back to myself in grade 9, grade 10. The first thing from my mind was was to become a teacher. So we have to start real early with them to say that this is uh, something that, that that is really important uh, and, and moving forward to try and get them thinking about the next steps in, in a career outside of uh, high school and university. So we sat down, we figured that uh, we, we have uh, about almost 40% of our students in our school division is Indigenous, uh, and that's declared, so I'm thinking we probably have even more than that that aren't declared, self-declared. So we said let's build from within, and that's where the name caught on. We passed tobacco to uh, our knowledge keepers in our division, and Ojitu and Onji Pinga came forward as the name for Build From Within, that's Ojibwe, and... Uh, we began the program. It took six years until, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. So it sat on our desk trying to figure out how we do this, finding the partnerships uh, to move it forward. It's a $7 million project. So that you just can't start it on, you know, think of it on a Friday and start on a Monday. <laughs> there's a lot of planning that has to happen. So uh, there's the partners in it uh, are the Winnipeg School Division. That uh, came from myself and a colleague just, just planting a seed and then the University of Winnipeg jumped on board when they heard of this as it would, we needed a uh, uh, university to, to to partner with us. And they're within our boundaries of the Winnipeg School Division. So just on proximity, it, it made great sense to be a partner with them. And then uh, lo and behold, when we were at that conference, uh, we had uh, one of our former trustees of our school division was the vice president of education for INSPIRE. And we didn't even know she was at the conference. And she sat down and we're reading lunch. And she said, I can help you fund that. <laughs> so it seemed everything just sort of aligned at that time, and then we just had a major uh, uh, funder step forward to uh, to uh, take the biggest part outside of the scholarships, of course, is the internship, which I'll talk a little about after, uh, for $3 million, which is a major part, so they stepped forward. So we're fully funded uh, for the program, but that's how it started. Uh, our, our chief superintendent and CEO uh, Ms. Pauline Clark gave us the AOK to go forward, even though we didn't have all the funding in place, she said, and valued the importance of it. And we started uh, about two years ago with uh, actively recruiting students from uh, uh, planting seeds in grade 9, recruiting in grade 10, and they begin in grade 11. Wow, what a great story. And, and it's so nice to hear that uh, both both yourselves in the Winnipeg School Division as well as the University of Winnipeg jumped on board recognizing this and, and getting behind it. That's a, that's a big part of the success of anything is, is uh, you know, getting that seeds uh, planted and then, and then developed. And of course, getting uh, Inspire uh, on board, uh, that's, I think, part of their mandate is to, to help in this area. So it's wonderful that... Uh, that you were able to bring them in and had someone right there. Now, I, uh, Rob, I'd like to go back just a little bit. Uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, you said when you were in grade 9 and 10, you did or you didn't know you wanted to be a teacher? No, I didn't know uh, I wanted to be a teacher. I, I'm, I'm Métis myself. I come mm-hmm. from a Métis family. Uh, like we were talking off before we started, there is a relation to Louis Riel. I never really jumped into that part of my history as my dad protected me from all the things that was happening to him when he was growing up. He didn't want me to have those same situations, so he, he guarded myself and my brothers uh, from that. Uh, I didn't begin to dig into who I was until I was, you know, in my, my in my mid-20s. So uh, there was some loss there. I lost my, my French language of my family. So there's a vested interest in, in these students coming forward to become role models. So 
so I was just finding out who I was at that, you know, not even at that time, but just trying to understand what was going on around me. Mm. So we're, we're trying to tackle that part uh, as well as having them be the role models and the leaders. What I say to the kids uh, when I talk to them is that, I, you know, the expectations of you to be leaders in the classroom, but I see some of you perhaps even being leaders of the school division. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I'm seeing. Like, it's not just to become a teacher. It's become a leader in the community, uh, you know, a leader in the building, like, endless possibilities. Sure, and, and that's wonderful, and and of course it is much needed in all of those areas and more. Um, now, I believe, was this the first year of intake where the kids have actually started to go through the system and starting this? Well, actually, the exciting component is tonight, believe it or not, we're having our Cohort 2 first opening night uh, gathering. So what we do and what we did, so I'll just sort of tell uh, what we're doing tonight is just a repeat of what we do with Cohort 1. And Cohort 1's completely done in the sense of their EADP, which I'll get back to in just a second. So tonight what we did, we're did, doing and what we did with the first cohort is we bring all the families together. We have 26 students for Cohort 2. The maximum's 30. So we have 26 right now. There's still a few that have to uh, do some upgrading in their marks before they begin because there's no real entry-exit point when they're in high school. It's, it's, it, the schedules really don't line up well. Uh, but they do line up enough that we can still see them at a later date come into the program. So tonight's very interesting, and it's it's very emotional as well, too, in the sense that uh, we bring them, them all to one of our inner-city high schools, R.B. Russell School. Uh, we sit down, we have a, a meal with them, a feast, so it's a gathering. Uh, we talk about what the next two semesters are going to look like for them, uh, the parents are there. Is there a major support and, and that cocoon of support that we are, we're going to surround those students with? And uh, they offer their tobacco uh, to the fire in order to uh, start their journey of becoming a teacher in the Winnipeg School Division. Uh, what we, we, we do is we sit down, we eat, we talk. Uh, they, they say their name. They, they thank their parents and whoever got them to where they are right now. Uh, the parents stand up and they say, say a piece as well too, and then we even and then we even have a uh, uh, the fire that we 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 lit and that'll be around 3:30 today. So the fire is going on uh, from beginning to end. And uh, what we uh, found last year, last year, last time we did it, which was last year, that the parents said, "Can we offer tobacco?" We never saw that. Mm. The parents actually are taking <laughs> big ownership in this. And it's very emotional. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it choked me up seeing uh, the parents themselves, seeing the, the just the importance of this and how this is going to change the lives of their students, but not not only them, but their families. Like, this is it's an incredible opportunity, and we see it just from day one. Uh, the strength itself is not the program. The strength comes within the students and their collegial uh, partnerships and relationships they have as as they'll celebrate all the successes that the group will have, but they're there for when there's the challenging times as well, too. And we saw that in Cohort 1, where we had a couple students that uh, were struggling in, in one way or another, not even academically, just because it was outside of school. But the the cohort surrounded that those couple students and actually helped them move forward. So when they fall, when they fall or they need support, they're helped up. And that's by the students. So the strength comes from from the kids themselves. It's incredible. Like it's 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 very moving to see this type of commitment that the students make. Uh, 
Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, I have a big smile on my face as you were saying all of that because it's it's so wonderful to hear what you were just talking about, the strength coming from the from the students, but also that connection to the families and how the families uh, felt that pride and also that 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 responsibility because it, it's it is looking to the future. You know, these they're probably seeing you know imagining you know these kids going off to do these wonderful things, and that speaks to the, the you know the whole role of the seven generations and all of that kind of stuff and. And uh, so, so that's wonderful to hear, and uh, and and you know, so uh, all the best with this as it, as it moves forward. But um, if you don't mind me asking, um, you know, it, it, you're talking about the reflection of seeing uh, the kids seeing the reflection as someone standing at the front of the class uh, as they see themselves there in the classroom. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, as and I don't have to really elaborate too much on this with you, but. There's a lot of uh, negative tension. There's been a lot of negative stories. There's been a lot of uh, just, uh, uh, you know, Indigenous people have not had the best uh, relationship with Canada and, and, and in some parts not necessarily with, or with non-Indigenous people. So what were the, what, when you approached, approached kids, you know, with the idea of starting to, to do this, to take on this role, to become teachers, to become, you know, examples for others to see, um, what, what kind of what were some of the the, the the kind of things you heard back from them? Excitement, uh, uncertainty, acceptance, uh, and then what we fall back upon, and and what we're doing as a school division in whole is, is uh, with regards to the uh, you know the ninety four calls and and truth and reconciliation. Uh, we're, we're really focusing on the s- restoring relationships. That's a big piece. We want them to be leaders in mm-hmm. this, and the only way to to uh, have impact uh, and move forward is for them to to be those leaders in restoring those relationships. We're having absolutely no problem in the conversations having teachers wanting these students come in and do student teaching in their rooms. Mm-hmm. They see the impact that they can have, and there's reciprocal learning that both a master teacher and a and a student teacher are going to have together. They want this, and we're not even. Uh, focusing on on uh, the, the actual teacher component in the sense of whether they're Indigenous or not because we want our uh, Built From Within students to be those leaders in the building on Indigenous education and have those leadership conversations on moving Indigenous education forward within the schools. Uh, we're in a really good place right now for that. I know that uh, my phone is continuously ringing on how we can support schools in moving this forward. I think our division has done a wonderful, uh, has done wonderful steps in, in moving Indigenous education forward and opening uh, those types of conversations and restoring those relationships that once in the past were good. Uh, and, and looking at uh, this program is just one of the uh, many that we do is, is, is really opening the eyes of, of people who didn't understand, and they're asking actually very good questions. You know, Rob, as you were uh, as you were uh, talking about some of the percentages of your school, about the the forty percent of of uh, uh, Indigenous students that uh, that have um, come forward and identified as Indigenous uh, and said, uh, you know, may, there may be more. Uh, the idea of having more teachers uh, in the classroom that are Indigenous. Um, is not uh, even unique to your area, uh, and I'm sure you'll, you 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 would you would back that up. I, I spent a little bit of time in the north, 
And, uh, of course, there are always teachers needed in the north that have gone from, uh, uh, come up, coming up from the south to go to the north. And um, I, I believe I met one indigenous uh, teacher, uh, and, and, of course, the, the rest were non-indigenous. Um, and so there is that need even to travel outside of, of the areas that, uh, that the, the students are going to come from that could ha- have benefit in other communities as well. Oh, absolutely, and and I'll you know we always joke and 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 I'm honest with the the students to say that this is very self fulfilling for our school division. We want them to stay with us, mm. but there's no contract. Mm. We don't have them sign a contract. Uh, the the support, like I said, it's a seven million dollar project for two cohorts of sixty students. Uh, we're hoping that through the relationships that we're building and the strengths of the of the students themselves, is that they're going to. Uh, stay within the Winnipeg School Division and, and support the communities that they come from. But we're always looking at partnerships to figure out how we can support uh, those families that come from the north because many of our families do come from the north. Mm. And and many of those students come to, uh, they think it's going to be for a, a short time in, in mm. Winnipeg, but it ends up being a lifetime. Sure. So they do have those connections up north. So uh, we're just looking at, at once I said, building relationships and, and supporting the students and becoming uh, role models, teachers that, that can carry the conversations that we're talking about right now. Right. I just want to jump in and let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM. This is Moment of Truth. And uh, my guest is uh, Rob Riel. He's the Director of Indigenous Education with the Winnipeg School Division. We're talking about Build From Within. It's a unique program that they have developed where they are trying and are working specifically and is now underway to uh, have students uh, look at becoming teachers and uh, professors. And uh, they are are now going through this, I believe it's a six-year program that uh, that they will be undergoing um, to uh, to become those leaders, those uh, educators, uh, and it's a, a wonderful uh, a wonderful system that you guys have developed uh, with yourself uh, and with the University of Winnipeg and uh, Inspire, which has come forward uh, to uh, to help with this as well. And uh, Rob, um, uh, as we say that, of course, now this isn't going to be uh, it's not an easy program for kids to go through, I'm sure, and there's many parts involved with this. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking it maybe there might be some people listening that could be interested in either either as, as a student or as uh, someone that's an educator already and going, hey, this would be cool for us to implement in where we are. Um, so can we just talk a little bit more about the specifics of what the students have to do? They get after they're they're uh, they're they're uh, accepted. Uh, what what then happens as the students roll through this program? Well, I was waiting for this, and, and I'm really excited to, to have this conversation and to share this with you. This is unique uh, in the sense that we don't know where, anywhere else in the world that this type of program and initiative is happening. Uh, so we're, we're moving along day by day, you know, with the, the strengths, challenges, and next steps when we reflect back on our partnerships with the University of Winnipeg Inspire and us. So uh, moving from that, I've had conversations from uh, uh, other school divisions and, and communities across Canada, which is fascinating. I know that they're, they're trying to duplicate and replicate some of the EA component that I'm going to just going to share with you in BC. So there's uh, other parts of, of the country that are trying to, to pick our brain and move forward with this uh, in very exciting ways. But ours, uh, I'm just going to share how it starts, is that uh, through a, a lengthy uh, and very supportive uh, 
interview process where students put their names forward uh, and we, we take this very seriously as this is the beginning of a career. So this is not just a mm-hmm. forward and we sit down to talk. We, we tell them right off the bat that, you know, th- th- this is a lifelong commitment that you're going to make. Uh, we're treating you as adults in the sense of the application form and we're going to put you through a very formal uh, sense, but with, of course, an Indigenous component to it as well, too. So mm-hmm. uh, it's not just going to be the colonial uh, way that we do interviews and so, so forth. So this is very special in that. So what we ended up doing was we had our, uh, uh, you know, our circle work with this, uh, all the high schools within our division. We uh, we had we brought food. We sat down. We we shared what the first of all what the uh, program was about. Uh, you know, depending on the high schools, we we had forty to fifty uh, at our smaller high schools, up to seventy five at our larger high schools uh, with themselves. Some of the students who were shy brought allies with them as well, too, to sit down beside them who weren't Indigenous as they, they needed a close friend just to sit down uh, to, to, you know, just to make it more comfortable. So through that, we got names that applied for our first cohort, uh, and the the application form was simple, but it was uh, you needed to do some work. One component was uh, just having name, number, school, parents' names, supports, all that type of stuff that you normally get with references. The three reference letters had to be adults within the school and one family member. Uh, and then they had to do a timeline. And this was for the conversation piece when we met. So we didn't interview them because what are we interviewing them about? We're interviewing about when they don't have any pre- previous jobs or in grade 10, so there's really sure. nothing to really go from. So we, we gave them a timeline from when they were born up until now and with significant... Uh, uh, you know, milestones or, you know, signposts or whatever you want to phrase them throughout their life that we can have a discussion with them and, and how they overcame or moved through. And many of them had some fantastic stories of, of, of successes and challenges throughout their life. Uh, but the key component is they had to bring someone from their family to the interview. Mm. And, and it wasn't, we called them interviews, but they were really conversations. Right. And we thought that they would bring, you know, maybe a, a mom or a dad or an uncle or an auntie, but over half of them brought more than one person, and most of them uh, brought many. We had a we had one person in the interview bring eleven people. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even have enough chairs in the room, uh, David, for the for the process, and so we just sat and talked. And what that did was that showed that it wasn't just up to the student themselves, but it was a community's. To support the student through mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. That, we said that right off the bat that that was the main goal uh, is they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so through that we did uh, a bunch of interviews. Well, we did more than almost 50 interviews for the 30 spots. We ended up with like 17 right off the bat that were confirmed and then others we had because they didn't have some of their grade 10 because there was no entry point if you didn't. You had to have a full uh, a full grade 11 up to a certain point in order to jump in because uh, when you started the EADP program, uh, it wasn't in their high schools. And we have uh, 13 high schools that we draw from, but they were all those students that, that we had uh, uh, 25 in our first cohort start. So what they did was when they were accepted in the program, we had our, like I said, we had our evening part uh, with them. Uh, and then what they did was they ended up going to uh, another building where we had a room for them within our division, uh, our adult ed center, uh, where they were there in the mornings and they did the EADP, which is the Education Assistant Diploma Program through the University of Winnipeg. And the reason for that is is uh, when they do their, and we're going to call it an internship, 
when they're in university. Uh, the morning part is, is going to be they're going to use some of the strategies and tools and the learning that they did through this EADP. It's a 300-credit-hour course uh, broken up into 250-hour sessions. So they did in their second semester, grade 11, in the mornings, they did the 150 hours in the mornings, and in the afternoon they stayed at the adult center together in their cohort, and they did the game-breaking courses that we found were the math. So they did their pre-cal or applied grade 11 and 12 math because you need that for university entrance. So they focused on that in the afternoons. So as a group, they stayed together for the morning for the second semester, grade 11, doing both their EADP and most of them were doing two high school credits as well. So if you can imagine that adults normally do this, they were the first group of, of students under the age of uh, 18 or in high school to do this. Nobody else ever done this. Mm. So they were breaking ground. <laughs> so you can imagine some of the, the people thinking, well, first of all, they're students that aren't adults, so mm. they're still in school, and then throw in that Indigenous component. You probably had a lot of naysayers, and they proved everybody wrong. Wow. They, did, they did fantastic. That's great. So you think of the rigor for them in grade 11, yep. doing that, and then first semester, grade 12, so September until February, they did uh, the second part, the, the other 150 hours. And that's every morning, and then they, they in the afternoon they were doing either their, their their maths to get their grade eleven or grade twelve math. Usually it was in the second semester it was grade twelve, uh, so that when they go back to their high school in the second semester grade twelve, and that's what they asked for. We asked them where they want this because they want to graduate with their peers. Mm. They've gone to high school with them, many of them for most of their lives, and they wanted to walk across that stage and get their diploma with the students that they went to school with. So mm. we we honored that. So. Currently right now, uh, we have, out of the 25, 21 have made it through, uh, which uh, we had three of them that moved out of the province, so we did, we just couldn't, mm. the family just moved. And then the other one will probably be jumping into cohort two as uh, there was some family stuff that needed to be dealt with that was just we just couldn't support right. uh, in a way because it was some stuff that I just can't share about. Sure. Uh, so on March... Uh, in the third week of March, we're bringing cohort, uh, this cohort one together that I just talked about and celebrating the ADP success and then talking about what I'm about to share with you about what's the next steps for them come this September. Okay. Well, we'll have to do this briefly because we're getting close to running out of time. Okay, so I'll make it very quick. So for the next uh, five years, our partnership with the University of Winnipeg uh, is going to increase as they're going to be doing uh, the university component of their BA and BED at the same time in the afternoons from 1 till 4.30 at the University of Winnipeg, which is within our uh, uh, school division. It's, they are their facilities within our, our boundaries. Uh, but in the mornings, they're going to be doing an internship. And what I mean by that is they're going to take the skills that they learn through the ADP and they're going to be partnering with a mentor teacher within our school division. So there's going to be 10 schools, three of the students per school and they're going to learn to trade every morning of every school day for the next five years. Wow. Wow. So uh, they're not going to be classified as EAs. They're going to get an honorarium, and the honorarium uh, adds up to, at the end uh, of it all, $10,000 a year mm. per student for five years. So at the end of it, they're going to end up with $50,000. Right. Wow. And they don't have the... the biggest barrier uh, that we eliminated for this program for student success 
is the financial component. Sure. They don't pay for anything. Yes, I saw that. It's uh, it's quite wonderful. Tuition, monthly bus pass, cultural activities, Everything. mentors, uh, summer job opportunities. Wonderful. What what a great opportunity for these students and. Uh, and congratulations to you, uh, you know, all, all there for, for doing this. It's, uh, it's wonderful, and, and we certainly wish you and all the students uh, the greatest success. We look forward to, to hearing about that success in the future. Yes, call me anytime. I'd love to come on and share more. That would be great. Uh, Rob, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, and, uh, and congratulations once again. And, 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 and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for you. It's, it sounds great, and what a wonderful opportunity for these students. Well, you don't have to be happy for me. You'd be happy for the kids. They're yeah. the ones who are going to be, they're the ones who I'm so proud of, and they, they're the ones doing all the work. <laughs> <laughs> True enough, but you guys had to have the, uh, the brainchild to bring it forward, so, uh, so congratulations on that part, and, and as I said, we wish uh, the best to all the students. Hopefully, maybe at the end of the year, we can get a student on, on board and uh, talk, uh, talk to them about uh, their experience thus far. Awesome. We could do that, David, for sure. Uh, that would be great. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. That's Rob Riel. He's the Director of Indigenous Education for Build From Within. He is with the Winnipeg School Division, and they have put this together with the Winnipeg School Division, the University of Winnipeg, and Inspire. They've all come together to bring this Build From Within. If you like what you heard, we'll post this uh, online. You can get more information about that. Uh, but uh, you can also, I guess, look up uh, the Build From Within online. You can uh, look up uh, Robert Riel as the Director of Indigenous Education if you're interested in finding out more about this as well. That's our show for today. I thank you for listening, and it's been a pleasure to bring you this information. And uh, until next time, I say onigiha.